and welcome to another edition of Sanctified Reason. Sanctified Reason is a podcast where Dan Delzell and myself signing him sit at the crossroads of faith and pop culture and talk about the issues that happen to pass us by. And Dan, one of the things that came about in the 1980s, at least in California, was this talk about the California lottery and how the California lottery was going to be like the end all to all the financial problems for the state of California, including schools and how schools would never have any other economic issues ever again if we implemented the lottery. And, of course, the lottery got implemented, and fast forward all these years, the lottery does not provide the economic relief that schools were hoping for from back in the 80s. There's still a lot of financial problems that schools face. Lack of money is one of the biggest ones, which begs the question, where does this money go? Then you take a look at maybe some of the other, like Powerball, you know, then it evolved from that spinning wheel in California and maybe other states had it too. So now you have the Powerball, you know, maybe start off with scratchers and won some stuff and, you know, maybe you were able to win a couple thousand dollars and then you had the lottery, which would give you a little bit more money. And now you have this multi-state Powerball in which you could probably win billions, if not hundreds of millions. And everyone thinks that's a big dream. You know, if I can only win the lottery, all my problems will be solved. But then when you start to delve into it a little bit further, you start to hear people's stories about how winning the lottery was the worst thing that could ever happen for them. All that money, and they end up in more debt than they were before, more unhappiness, more list the bad things that people went through. But yet still, I stand in line at the mini mart waiting to get my soft drink or whatever, and someone's up there having to hold up the line because they're either buying the Powerball or the lottery or the scratchers. And I keep thinking to myself, if you want to put that money to good use, just give it to me and I'll put it to good use for you because chances of you winning the lottery are slim to none. But I digress. So people play it and their their hopes of winning and financial stability and all that come to play. And apparently that might be heaven on earth. I don't know. But then... You write an article, would you trade heaven for winning a lottery ticket? And I think for a lot of people, that is a serious question that they would have to consider because the money that they would win is the here and now instead of a deferred investment into eternity. And I think if you ask people that, if you were able to go out there and do a just a survey of people, I think people would choose the lottery over heaven because of what it can provide for them now in the tunes of perhaps millions of dollars, which would supposedly end all their problems here on earth. Yeah, that's really what led me to come up with that title song. Would you trade heaven for a winning lottery ticket? Because it forces a person to really think through how important eternal life is in their mind, how important a relationship with God is. Uh, I like the term you used on a uh, deferred investment. You know, how willing are you to put off your best life now? You know, as, as uh, you know, Joel Osteen describes it, um, you can have your best life now. Uh, how willing are you to put that off so that you can have your best life in the next life? And the message of the Bible is that if you will make Jesus your priority, 
if you will repent of your sins and trust him as your savior and then follow him, which all believers do, then they begin to follow the Lord. Um, and, and, and if you make the Lord your focus, not money, not materialism, not a winning lottery ticket, um, at the end of the day, you're going to have your payday. And it's not going to be because of anything that you did to earn it, but it's going to be because of what Jesus did on the cross to pay for your sins and earn eternal life for you and for me. But that really is the challenge that many people face. And Jesus, of course, addressed this when he said, you cannot serve both God and money. You know, either you'll, you know, hate the one and, 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 and despise the other, be devoted to the one and, and, and just, and, and then hate the other. I mean, you cannot do both. There's, there's not, it is not possible in, in the human heart to love both God and money. And the Lord made this very clear. That's why Jesus said it's so hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Be, because when the love of money gets a grip on your soul, your heart, your mind, it hangs on tight. And unless you choose to make the Lord the love of your heart, uh, money will consume you. Uh, money will eat you alive from the inside out. You know, even though the Bible says whoever loves money never has money enough, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income, that's the way money works. You, you never have enough uh, to be satisfied because it cannot satisfy the soul. Uh, God created us with an immortal soul that can only find its satisfaction in a relationship with him. And that got all thrown out of whack when Adam and Eve sinned and, 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 and we have sinned and, and our heart is out of whack and, and uh, out of focus and uh, separated from the Lord until we are brought into that relationship with God through faith in Christ. And then, you know, things mellow out. Uh, what I mean by that is uh, then um, we start to experience the peace of God in our heart that transcends all human understanding. And we start to, to just realize why the love of money is so fleeting. It's here today, gone tomorrow. So it's interesting when this rich young ruler came to Jesus one day and he assumed he was righteous enough to get into heaven. And he said, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Interesting the question. He assumed he could do something. He could do something good enough. He could earn it. And because his heart was not right and, and he was not humble before the Lord, Jesus gave him the Ten Commandments, which are intended to break down our self-righteousness and lead us to the cross. You know, the Bible says the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. So Jesus gave him the Ten Commandments, or at least some of them. And, and this man in his self-righteousness said, well, hey, all these I've kept since I was a boy. So he was self-deceived. He assumed he'd kept the Ten Commandments. He didn't seem to realize that he'd broken them many times, as we all have, in our hearts, uh, if not also uh, in our life, in other ways, with our speech and our behavior and so forth. But he didn't seem to realize that. And so then Jesus went to the jugular to try to help this man be humble. He said, okay, then, hey, go sell. You know, one more thing you lack. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor. You know, but this man went away sad because he had great wealth. So he, he wasn't seriously interested in a relationship with Christ. He just kind of wanted Jesus to tell him what a good person he was. 
he, he wanted Jesus to just kind of affirm what he assumed about himself, that, that he was righteous enough to get into heaven. And he certainly wasn't willing to give up his love of money uh, to follow the Savior of the world. So uh, when you encounter someone who is hardened in their sin the way he was and in their self-righteousness, they need to hear the law. They need to hear the commandments. And hopefully they'll recognize I'm a, I'm a lawbreaker. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And, and that could lead them to repentance, uh, but only if they humble themselves. And that man, that rich king ruler, was not willing to do that. And, and I'm afraid many of today's songs would choose the winning lottery ticket over heaven because they're not yet at a point where they sense the seriousness of, of their situation and their need for a Savior. You know, Dan, and you can replace lottery, you know, which is like that instant increase in money to let's say maybe a profession. I mean, I think about Daryl Strawberry, a guy that we talked about recently. Here's a guy that had major talent in baseball. He was a four-time World Series champion, the Texas Rangers just winning the World Series themselves. So a lot of people can relate to kind of what it's like if you watch the game and you watch the celebration afterwards, you know, the the pinnacle of success for baseball. And then you look at all these players, you know, making millions and millions of dollars. But for Daryl Strawberry, you know, a a four-time champion, an eight-time All-Star, I guess he signed an $8 million contract, which by today's standards is very, uh, very low. When he was 22, he had all this worldly success, but then that brought his demons of addiction and other things. And in real life, here's a guy who had gained the world but lost his soul. And it wasn't until his playing days were done that he says when nobody wanted him, when people were calling him a bum and all this stuff, Jesus comes along and says, where's Daryl Strawberry? And they're like, why do you want Daryl? because I want him on my team. And so it doesn't matter if it's an instant winning the lottery or maybe a career. You know, a lot of people would want to be a superstar, like maybe on TV. And you think about, like, for example, Matthew Perry, who just recently passed away. How many people in the height of friends would long to be in his shoes, long to be that star on TV, making the millions of dollars and having the fame and fortune. But then look how he had the world but lost his soul. Now, I don't know what his faith was like upon his death, but he had a lot of addiction struggles and a lot of other issues that probably came with that money. I don't know. Maybe those issues would have been there anyways. But you look at these people, and so it's like when you take your focus off the cross, off Jesus, and you want your reward to be something here on earth, where it says in the Bible, you know, these treasures on earth are going to rust and corrode then the same issue happens is that we lose our soul and yet we gain the world. And in the end, we have truly lost out. That's exactly right, Son. And I think Matthew Perry is an excellent example that you bring up. Of course, very well known worldwide through his role on friends. After his death, I looked up his net worth, which it said it was $120 million. Uh, I read someone who had said that in his uh, last years, they said he was, he was very lonely. Um, you know, it's very tragic that you can have fame, you can have fortune. We hope that he knew the Lord. Um, we, we, we hope that he came to know Christ. 
You know, I, I did read one thing here uh, today or yesterday that was saying that he'd had some experience here in the last few years where he felt God's presence. Now, it didn't go into detail. Um, so I have no idea if he was born again or if it was just some mystical experience that he had. You know, many people have spiritual experiences on where, where they feel things. Uh, many people claim to have seen the light. Uh, you know, Shirley MacLaine and, and those in the New Age years ago and many since then who claim to have these New Age experiences. You know, um, you know the wonderful Christian that you worked with for years on KKLA in Los Angeles, Frank Sontag, and his program. And, uh, and Frank, of course, came out of a, a background in the New Age and, and I believe wrote a book, didn't he, about, uh, about that. And, uh, you know, people who've come out of that and, and, and they know the difference between those mystical experiences and then meeting Jesus who said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. So we hope that Matthew Perry came to know Christ because now that his soul has left his body, uh, which is what happens to everyone uh, at, at the moment of their death, regardless of their age or their religion or where they live, you know, you might be a Hindu in India, you might be an atheist in Europe. You might be a Roman Catholic in America, or we could use all sorts of other hundreds of other examples of this or that living here or there. But what we all have in common, Son, is that we were created in the image of God, body, soul, and spirit, three in one, in the image of our creator who is three in one. He is the eternal God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons in one God. Now, unlike what the false prosperity preachers uh, teach, that, that somehow we are like little gods and, and uh, all sorts of heretical things, interestingly about money, which we're talking about today. You know, we're talking about how wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, and then you've got these prosperity preachers who are appealing to the lust of the flesh, trying to motivate people to give money to their ministry by telling them they can be rich. So, you know, they'll be like, hey, look, look at my, look at my uh, jet planes. I, I heard uh, Jesse Duplantis on a recent uh, little, uh, little uh, video clip I was listening to, Son, and, and he was bragging. He said, uh, I, I, I don't know when this was, maybe, you know, in the last maybe 10 years or whenever, but he said uh, somebody was kind of being critical of him. You know, do you really need a, your own jet? You know, if so, why not just get three or four? And he bragged. He said, hey, you know, I kind of like that idea. So I went out and I did that. You know, I mean, they, they, they don't understand what Scripture teaches, that godliness is not a means to financial gain. That's not why the Lord has, that's not why God sent his only son to die on the cross. So we could become, um, you know, wealthy. He's given us true riches. He's given us his son. He's given us eternal life. And, and just as there are people, as we're saying today, son, who I believe and know would take a winning lottery ticket over heaven, that would be their choice. So also the prosperity preachers have made their choice. They want their best life now. They want materialism now. They want worldly wealth now. And they don't, well, they fail to see how terribly they're misleading people to get them to lust after money and materialism rather than to long for Jesus and to sacrifice their lives for Jesus. You know, the Son of Man had 
no place to lay his head. So Jesus, during his years on earth, lived a very humble existence, as did the apostles. But it's interesting, Son, you know, one of these prosperity preachers, you know, he, he there was this one, uh, you know, sermon clip going around where he, uh, he said, oh, yeah, you know, Jesus lived in a big house. Like, wait a minute. What are you talking about? Yeah, when he was in heaven, he lived in a very big house. He came here and he gave up the glory of heaven. And you're going to have the audacity to teach that somehow Jesus and the disciples were like going around like you prosperity preachers and flaunting material wealth and, and trying to stir that uh, desire up within other people. So, so they're, they're deceived by that song. So it's not just people in the world who are deceived if they would choose a winning lottery ticket over heaven, over Christ. It's the prosperity preachers who've made their choice. You know, I believe Kenneth Copeland's net worth, I, I read at least one place, said it was $750 million. But his is not the, the, the New Testament gospel that he doesn't preach. He preaches money, materialism. Um, and I would hate to be in his shoes when he stands before the Lord and has to answer for all of the times that he, he focused on, on money and wealth, obscene wealth, not just wealth, but obscene wealth. I mean, because you could argue that all of us Christians in America are wealthy by, you know, the standards of most people in the world, and that's true. You know, we are wealthy. I mean, we, we have a roof over our head. We have so many things that, that people don't have in third world countries. But when you watch some of these prosperity preachers without any shame, you know, telling people that if you sow a seed in our ministry, it, it, you know, and it, it gets so bad, son. You know, it, it's as bad as it was back in Martin Luther's day when, you know, the Roman Catholic Church was, was selling indulgences. And, you know, you, you give money to the church and you, you can... Uh, you can buy your loved ones way out of purgatory, which is not even a biblical uh, idea to begin with, but um, purgatory, that is. But you can't buy someone's way out of hell. Once you leave this world, you're entering your eternal place of residence, or at least, let me put it this way. Um, you, you go to Hades if you don't know Christ. The English word is hell. The Greek word is Hades, like the rich man in Luke 16 went to Hades. Hades is like the county jail of hell. Um, there's another Greek word, Gehenna, which was the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem where the fire never went out. And one day Hades will be tossed into Gehenna. Now, when you read it in English, it, you know, it just, it just says hell. But when you go a little bit deeper, you realize that, that those are two different places, although very related. But, but, uh, until you go before the judge, like when we did this, uh, Bible study, I did here for five years at the Surfy County jail. You know, I met with a lot of inmates who were waiting on their day in court, and they were in the county jail. Um, and some of them were facing uh, charges whereby it looked like they would then be going on to, uh, to prison after they went before the judge or had a trial or had the judge then, you know, hand down their sentence. So in a similar way, judgment day is coming. Uh, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible says. Right now, there are people in heaven and there are people in Hades. And those people in Hades have nothing to look forward to. 
Um, they're in agony right now as the rich man in Luke 16 was. He was in torment. And all of a sudden, he became worried about his, you know, his brothers. Let, let somebody go and tell them. Uh, let them tell my family to warn them. Uh, because when he was on earth, he wasn't concerned about it. But one day, Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire, into Gehenna, where uh, Jesus said, their, their worm does not go out, the fire is not quenched, everyone will be salted with fire. And I know, son, that people have a hard time with that, and people mock that. And none of us really understand it. But who really understands the agony that Jesus endured on the cross so that we could be saved from hell? Who really understands that? None of us understand that. We can, we can accept it and believe it. We do. But just because people have a hard time with hell doesn't mean it's not real. Just because it doesn't make sense to natural man doesn't mean it's not real. If righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So there is a terrible place that God wants to save you from and me from. And Jesus paid the way by his death on the cross. And our hope today, although there's nothing we can do to change it either way, our hope today is that Matthew Perry is in heaven. You know, last night at Bible study, Son, I was talking a little bit about some of these, uh, these individuals in the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, who um, have lost their lives in the last week. And I, I've seen some pictures. I, in fact, yesterday I was looking at some photos of maybe 10 or 12. They were all young men, 19 or 20 years old. Um, and they bravely have been engaged in this, um, in this fight now against the, the barbaric terrorist Hamas. Um, and they lost their life. And so we talked uh, about that and talked about how whoever you are, Jew or Gentile, uh, whatever your faith, you know, everyone's going to die. Everyone's going to stand before the Lord. And, and Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And, and so there's nothing more critical. And that's why, if you and I know some, that's why we talk about this so much on this Sanctified Reason podcast, because that everything is funneling down to that. Everything is heading toward that moment. Anyone who's listening to this podcast, son, you and I know something we hope they know, and we want them to know. We want you to know, my friend, if you don't know this, you're going to get your day in God's courtroom. Whether you believe you are or not, you're going to. It's appointed on the man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And so, yes, we don't make any bones about it. We are trying to warn you about that day, but we're also trying to share good news with you that you don't have to be afraid of that day if you get with Jesus today. Today is the day of salvation. Trust him to forgive your sins. Believe that he died on the cross for your sins. When have you ever heard of faith? Jump to a bunch of religious hoops. When have you ever seen any of God's messengers in the Bible? Say that that's how you get saved. No, you get saved as you repent of your sins and trust Christ to forgive you. So, um, you know, son, we're going to continue to see famous people like Matthew Perry enter eternity. There's hardly a day that goes by, I guess, when we don't hear a report of someone who's been a celebrity or an athlete. I mean, hey, my goodness, son, you and I haven't even talked about this, but uh, how about Bobby Knight, you know, Indiana basketball coach who just died at the age of 83? Here in the last few days. Uh, I mean, Bobby Knight was a big deal in college basketball. 
Bobby Knight was a very fiery individual. Um, very charismatic. You know, you probably remember, son. I mean, what, one of the scenes they played over and over again was sometime when Bobby Knight threw this chair across the room. Remember that? Yep. And, uh, and, and, you know, so we hope and pray that Bobby Knight, maybe in his latter years there, um, came to the Lord. I mean, I mean, maybe he knew him earlier. I don't know. But uh, that's why we're always talking about this. Because 100 years from now, not going to matter how much money a person you, you think Matthew Perry cares today about his net worth of $120 million that now is going to go to whoever you know whoever in his family whoever he has that going to how's that going to benefit him how's that going to help his soul you know as, as I quoted earlier wealth is worthless in the day of wrath that is when you stand before God if you're not forgiven of your sins and then you're handed a sentence from the judge of eternal punishment in hell it doesn't matter whether you had a dime to your name or $120 million. It does not matter. God owns it all anyway. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't, you know, give money to the church or something or to a ministry, uh, unlike what these prosperity preachers claim. Um, they're, they're, they're self-deceived. Um, their lust for money has corrupted their hearts and their minds. They are like those spoken of in Timothy who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. These are corrupt teachers who do not proclaim the gospel, and they do not lead people to Christ. They, they entice people to lust after money. You know, they might as well just be out there on their platform holding up uh, photos of naked women trying to entice people to lust after naked women. It, 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 what they're doing is no, no different in a way. They're just getting people to lust after money, materialism. Um, and either way, you could give your soul to pornography. You could give your soul to a love of riches. You know, Satan doesn't care which one you take as long as you take one. You know, as long as you commit your soul to something other than to the Lord. So we will continue, of course, to do what, what we do. In, in sharing this message, and we want to encourage you as a listener to this podcast to do the same thing. If you're not already, you might be already. Praise the Lord. If not, God wants to equip you to start sharing this message with someone in your family. Maybe you send them something in the mail. Maybe you start praying for them every day. What are you doing? And I say this, you know, with gentleness, not, not as a rebuke or anything. I just say with gentleness, what are you doing? to help someone else get into heaven? Or have you even started that? Maybe you haven't. That's, you know, hey, that's, that's not to say that, you know, oh, man, you, you did bad, you know. No, it's just to say if you haven't started that process yet, that's, why do you think this podcast is here? It's so that, that people can meet Christ and then begin to make disciples. And Jesus said, go and make disciples. Um, so, uh, as you think and pray, God will show you how you can do that. I think of a woman in our church, Cheryl, who gets up every morning at five o'clock and prays for an hour. Um, that's probably the most powerful thing you and I could do to help others know Christ. Pray for others. And she has her long list of people she prays for. And uh, what a ministry of prayer. When we get to heaven, son, I mean, I wonder. We, we could probably say to the Lord one day, hey, Lord, how many, how many answers to prayer came? through Cheryl's 
prayers at 5 a.m. Not not that the time of day is, is the key, that's not. But for her, that's just a good time, I guess, and, you know, when she chooses to do that. But but the Bible also says pray without ceasing. So how much prayer will, will you and I, everyone listening to that, how much prayer will we have today for the lost as well as for, you know, anybody in our family or friends who know the Lord? So, um, yeah, son, I mean, this is it right here. This is what This is what we're here for. And, and, and we're very blessed to be able to be, just to be part of what God is doing on earth today. And the other thing that we can keep in mind, because we talked about it not too long ago, was the man on the middle cross. You know, when the thief on the cross, when he gets to heaven, like Alistair Begg had said one time, and he tells this story about this man, uh, the thief on the cross, getting to heaven, and the angels ask him all these questions, and he has no answer for them, you know, and he never did anything, never went to communion, never went to church, was never a member, baptism, all this stuff. And so finally the angel is like, well, why are you here? Whose authority are you here? And the thief says, the man on the middle cross, meaning Jesus, said I can come. And so when you talk about some of those, you know, prosperity preachers or anybody for that matter that says you have to do X, Y, Z, just keep in mind that the only answer is Jesus said I can come. Now that you don't want or you don't have to do anything is true, but that desire will become I want to do things because I'm a follower of Christ. And those wants will be maybe go to church, get involved in a group, reach out, spread the gospel, pray for others, whatever it is, it becomes a desire. And it doesn't include having to give money because that's one of the biggest things, one of the big downfalls I think that people struggle with when it comes to corporate church, especially in America, is the giving aspect. You know, you see these pastors living lavish lifestyles and they're like, wait a minute, I don't want to give to somebody, and I have a hard time doing that. You know, I think about all these churches with all these mega, you know, church um, big arenas and stuff, and I think, wow, the money that's being used to light that thing or to pay for an extravagant rent or maybe, you know, the multi multitudes of people that are working there, and you think that money is just kind of going to waste because it could be used for other things. You know, as a, as a giver, that's what I'd be thinking when I go into some of these huge churches that I've been to. And so anyways, what people just have to remember is that if there is, when it comes down to it, the only thing that we can do is just accept that Jesus died on the cross. And the only answer, like Alistair Begg put in that story from a couple podcasts ago, is that on whose authority am I here? On whose authority am I saved? On whose authority can I get into heaven? Is because Jesus the man on the middle cross said I could be here. And you don't have to jump through all these things to try. You don't have to go buy a lottery ticket to get into heaven. You don't have to, you know, prepare for anything because we as individuals, we as humans can't do anything. But then when we do accept Christ, then that want, that desire to serve steps in. And so that's the biggest thing that I hear from people that really have a pushback against the church is, you know, they're expected to do all these things. And it's like, wait a minute. They might expect you to do all these things, but Jesus expects you just to believe and accept and confess. And if you do that, then you will be saved. And I think that when you get back to these, you know, lottery and you're looking at the tangible money that people get right now, if that's what their desire is, then that's what's going to drive them because what's on our heart is what our thoughts are going to be. What our thoughts are going to be is what our actions are going to be. 
And so if we have our heart filled with the Holy Spirit, if we have a heart in Scripture, if we have a heart in prayer, then our mind is going to think on these things, think on those things that are above, not on things on the earth. And then our desires and our actions are going to be that of what we find out and what we read about in Scripture. And then we won't really have that you know, lust for money or that drive for money or that temptation for money because we know it is fleeting. Sure, it'd be nice to have a few extra bucks, especially nowadays in this economic climate that we're in. But God still does provide. He provides all our needs, and those needs don't include, you know, they might not include jets, so they might not include a big fancy house. But like you said, if we have a roof over our head, if we have food on the table. I remember one time years ago, uh, I think I might have been in college, I went on this retreat. It was a houseboat trip, and it was pretty cool. But one of the drivers of the boat, you know, they hired some, you know, young young people maybe in their mid to upper 20s, whatever, and they would drive these boats, and then they would also share their faith. And I remember him saying that, you know, here was a guy that was living in his car before he got this job to drive a houseboat, and the reason why he took the houseboat job was because it was a, a job that would give him a home, you know, on the houseboat. And he was just sharing his faith, and he was sharing that there'd be times where he would, like, get a few bucks to buy a bag of chips, and he was grateful for that bag of chips because that was food being provided by God. And there was a lot of extreme stuff like that. And I was thinking, man, here's a guy that is pretty grateful for a bag of Doritos because that's his meal for the night. And then he's thankful for the car that he has, which I think at the time was like a VW bug because he had shelter over his head. And we, in the Western world, we don't see stuff like that. We don't see, you know, poverty to the point where we're thankful that we have an old VW bug to sleep in or a bag of Doritos to feed us that night because we are so, you know, in a life of luxury, a life of, you know, we do well, especially if we're considered poor. And so that trap there that drags us into I need X, Y, Z in order to be successful or to be whatever that becomes what's on our heart, which becomes on our mind, which drives our thoughts and our actions, which is away from the cross. And so we just have to be aware of that temptation because it can be so subtle, can be so slight, because the world dictates to us what success is, what wealth is, what all the creature comforts of life is. And we can easily get sucked into those when all we really need is just the salvation that Jesus provided on the cross, except that, and even though life might not be rosy, we have our investment in the future, which is eternal life in heaven with Jesus and all the believers. My goodness, Tom, that is such an important point that you make. You know, I think about the Bible verse, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And as you point out, um, I mean, we are going to be thinking about something. We get to choose. Uh, and, and the battleground is the mind. But as you wisely point out, Son. When we choose to focus on the things that are eternal, when we choose to focus on Scripture and the Lord and prayer and what He wants for our lives, um, it, it it has a way of really snowballing. Um, there's a verse in the Bible that says, "Do not put out the Spirit's fire." So when you're born again through faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you, and Christ comes to live within you. And and uh, in John it says, "The anointing you receive from Him remains in you." And so that's the Holy Spirit. That's God's presence in you. And then the Bible says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. And it says in Titus that the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion. So here's how this thing works. God puts a fire in our soul for the things of God. And by his grace, as we say no to the bad stuff, to temptation and the things we shouldn't be thinking about, the things that God says, 
he doesn't want us thinking about that are sinful or wrong or unhelpful for our spiritual life. Um, when we say no to those things, then the fire continues to burn significantly in our hearts and, and we continue to think on good things and, and, and it just feeds on itself. And we have an ongoing desire for scripture and for, uh, and for prayer. You know, I wrote a couple articles years ago, son, you might remember. One was entitled, Eat Until You Are Hungry, and the other was Drink Until You Are Thirsty. And, you know, at first glance, you think, wait a minute, that's the opposite of what I do in my life. I mean, um, I stop eating when I'm, when I'm no longer hungry. Um, I stop drinking when I'm no longer thirsty. But in the spiritual realm, um, a hunger for the Word of God is a sign of health, spiritual health. A thirst for the living water of the Holy Spirit and more living water, that's a sign of spiritual health. And so if you don't have a thirst for God, if you don't have the kind of thirst like the psalmist who said, um, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God, when can I go and meet with God? You know, as, as the deer pants for streams of water, the psalmist writes, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So that's a sign of spiritual health. But if I don't have that, then the way to gain that thirst is to start drinking of the living water. To, to, to start praying and asking God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. I mean, initially, you know, if you haven't trusted Christ as Savior, that has to happen first. You're not going to receive God's living water into your soul until you believe in Christ as your Savior. That's what Jesus taught in John 8, that when you believe in him, out of you uh, rivers of living water will flow. By this he met the Holy Spirit. So if you're not thirsty for God, you need to start drinking. I know it sounds counterintuitive. I know it sounds backward to what we would normally think. But drink until you're thirsty and eat until you're hungry. Well, I don't really have a desire to read the Bible. I wonder why. First of all, are you born again? Yeah, I'm born again. Okay. Uh, well, there can be other factors then. Maybe your mind, and this goes to Son's point, maybe your mind has been so filled with the things of the world, there's been no room for the things of God. And of course, you don't have a hunger for the Word of God if you have not been eating. Like a little baby who has no hunger for milk. You say, whoa, what's wrong here? This baby is not healthy. That's not normal. That's not good. This baby isn't eating. This baby doesn't seem to want to eat. And the same is true with a baby Christian. If they don't have a hunger for the word of God, there's a problem. So in Peter, we're told like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Crave the milk of the word of God. Say, well, I don't have it, Dan. I don't have it. Well, then I would suggest to you that you start eating and drinking until you become hungry and thirsty. Get into the Word of God. Get into prayer. Go to the Lord. Pour out your heart to Him. Explain to Him, Lord, um, I am dry. My heart, my soul is dry. Uh, my soul is parched. Um, uh, or my soul is barren. Um, give me, give me that that hunger. Give me that thirst. And then just start reading the Word. Just start meditating on the Word of God. And you'll find something remarkable will happen because the Word of God is living and active. And it will start to create the hunger and thirst that you and I need. There's so much power in the Word of God. 
But this again goes to Sean's point. If all I'm doing is filling my mind with the world, where is there any room for the Holy Spirit to be working? So do not put off the Spirit's fire. And once you get into that flow, because remember, Christianity isn't just about the know, it's also about the flow. You can know Christian doctrine, which is very important that you do. But if you get out of flow, you're not going to have any interest in sharing that with others or growing in that yourself or meditating upon that. And there'll be very little joy in your Christian life. You know, there's a Bible verse, you know, I believe Paul who wrote, what happened to all your joy? And sometimes I think God maybe says that to us as Christians. What happened to all your joy? The joy you had when you first got saved. When you first came to know Christ as Savior. What happened to all your joy? Well, you know, honestly, sometimes I think maybe it's that we let the world start to dominate our thinking. Start to dominate um, our focus. And so that's the challenge that we have as Christians. Whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, Paul writes, think about such things. Because the more we think about those things, the more the fire of God burns within us, the more hunger we have for the things of God, the more thirst we have for the Lord and, and, and his things. And the alternative is also true, that when we don't think on things that are pure, when we think on things that are impure, when we let our eyes or our minds go there, we let our speech go there, we start talking, you know, in a way that's impure, or maybe gossiping about someone or grumbling and complaining. You know, that was a big one for the Israelites in the Old Testament. They, they would grumble and complain, and, and God was not pleased with them. Because how can you and I really grumble and complain after all God's given to us? I mean, how can we justify that? Oh, we do it at times, but we have no business doing it. And, and, and so when we do, we can go to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, why, why am I grumbling and complaining after all you've done for me? I mean, you gave me your only son. You've given me eternal life in heaven. And here I am complaining about something, grumbling about something, gossiping about someone, uh, you know, fixing my eyes or my mind on something impure. So forgive me, Lord. Wash me, Jesus, with your precious blood. Create within me a clean heart, O God, which was David's prayer after his sin of adultery with Bathsheba, and he had her husband murdered, Uriah, put on the front lines of battle so he would be killed. And David was such a mess. Even though he'd been a man after God's own heart, the Bible says, he was such a mess. He said he was miserable. He said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long, which is what happens to believers when we choose to sin. You'll never be happy doing that as a believer. You'll never find contentment there. But when David repented of his sin after the prophet Nathan came to him and, and spoke words that convicted him, um, then David repented. He was forgiven. And David has this beautiful prayer in Psalm 51. He doesn't ask the Lord to just give him a new heart. I love the word he uses. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. David recognized that we can get to a point in our life where we can't even, we can't even find anything in our heart that's pure other than just what God has put there, which is a desire to be reconciled, a desire to be forgiven. All we can say to the Lord is, Lord, create that in me. It's not there. I've lost that by my own 
willful choices. But we can still go to God, the creator of the universe, and we can ask him in humility through Jesus, our Savior, create in me a clean heart, O God. And I would say to any of us or anyone listening, if your heart's ever such a mess that you don't know where to turn and, 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 and you're tempted to think God could never fix your heart, that would be a great prayer to pray. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Oh, we can make a mess of our lives, but God, God is so good at cleaning up messes, at forgiving sins, at changing hearts, at transforming lives. So don't think you've gone so far that you can't be forgiven. Don't think you've messed up too many times for God to accept you back. But just know this, your future does not have to be just falling back into the same things you've been falling back into. Uh, your future can look different than that. Um, your, your future can experience freedom and victory in those areas. Uh, but it will mean changing uh, the way you go about it, changing the, the habits, some of your habits, um, beginning to have more holy habits in terms of, of Bible study and prayer. I mean, you know, I mentioned Cheryl in our church praying for an hour every morning at 5 a.m. That's a holy habit. Now, I'm not saying you're going to do that, but maybe you'll start praying at, you know, 3 p.m. for 15 minutes or whatever, you know? Maybe you'll start praying in the evening for half an hour. I mean, how many holy habits do you and I have? And and those are, are so often connected then to um, the flow, the flow of our life, the flow. And, and in a world where there's so many temptations, um, the Bible says, Jesus tells us, watch and pray, as he told his disciples, watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So you don't want to trust your old nature. Just trust Jesus. He'll forgive you. He'll help you. And, and I just say all that, Son, to say, I think, I think you hit it on the head there when you talked uh, a few minutes ago about just the importance of us thinking on those things that God wants us to think about. Dan, just one kind of one final thing, just so that we can kind of be clear for those people that might be listening. So there's no um, confusion. If someone does play the lottery, okay, and decides that's what they want to do with their couple bucks, whatever, is that a sin? Is that wrong to play the lottery? What, what can we say to kind of wrap that up just to let people know that, you know what, we don't want to have any confusion with, you yeah. know, the lottery yeah. and all that. What we're talking about is what our value mm-hmm. system is, what our belief system is, what we prioritize in life, and we prioritize right. heaven right. over the lottery. However, right. playing the lottery. What would you say to those that do play it? Or my question, hey, you guys are saying the lottery's bad. You know, what would you respond to that? Very good question, Son. And and, uh, several things to keep in mind. You know, the Bible tells us a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Some people are mastered by profanity or pornography or alcohol or drugs or materialism, okay, or gambling. So what I would say to someone... uh, who is, um, you know, buying some lottery tickets uh, or, or someone who, let's say, a few times a year puts some coins into a slot machine 
or someone, let's say, who's investing thousands of dollars in the stock market in a stock that they're kind of gambling in hopes that it goes up, but they don't really know, okay? Um, I would say, as Christians, we want to prayerfully be careful how we spend our time and our money, and we don't want to become addicted to, uh, to spending or, or gambling. But I would say this, son, I would not be able in good conscience to tell a Christian who says, you know, Dan, um, I put $10 into a slot machine last month and I read this article on gambling and I'm feeling kind of convicted about that. Did I sin? Um, I cannot say in good conscience, son, that I could say to them, well, yeah, you sinned. Um, or if they said, you know, I, I bought a few lottery tickets last week. Did I sin? I don't know that I, in good conscience, could say to them, yes, you sinned. Or they said, you know, we just invested $2,000 into a stock that we hope is going to make us a lot of money, but we're not sure. Um, did we sin? Um, I, I, I could not, in good conscience, say that they sinned. I, I would just say that, yes, lottery tickets, or gambling, slot machines, sports betting, which is a big thing today. It, just like drinking, okay? It's, I, I would compare it to drinking. So he says, well, you know, I had a glass of wine a week ago. Did I sin? Um, I, I, I would say, well, you know, the Bible speaks against, you know, drunkenness. Um, but the Bible doesn't say it's a sin to have a glass of wine. Um, personally, son, I, I don't find anything in Scripture that say, well, now you're sinning. If you put some change into a slot machine or buy a lottery ticket, but I would say this, um, I, I think a person has to be careful about the addictive nature of it. Um, and, and, and we also have to be careful. Well, what am I really going for here? I mean, why would I need to even spend it? Why would I want to spend a few dollars on a lottery ticket? You know? Um, so I, I, I try to be careful on some things like that that um, I, 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 don't, I don't say something to someone that I cannot back up with Scripture. And I personally do not find a uh, you know, biblical support to say that that person that, let's say, let's say they spent you know, $20, or let's just say they spent $100 you know, at the casino. I say, well, boy, I mean, be careful. You know, I mean, so you did that, what, you you went on your honeymoon or somewhere and there was a casino and you spent $100 and, I mean, I, I could not in good conscience tell them that they sinned any more than I would tell that that Christian who invested in that risky stock that they sinned, that they were doing it to try to make money. They didn't just put it into a CD, they put it into a stock that was no, no sure thing. They were gambling with it. Um... But, but, but on the other hand, son, there are people, obviously, who have become so addicted that, that they gamble away their family's money, rent money, food money. Um, I mean, there have been some, obviously, terrible, many situations, like just like with alcohol. People who've destroyed their lives and their marriage and their family because of alcohol addiction or drug addiction. So to really be specific on your question, I guess it would kind of depend on what the person said to me. If the person came and said, you know, Dan... Uh, I spend $20 a day on lottery tickets. Am I sinning? 
I would say, well, boy, that, that, that sounds like you're addicted. And, and I'd want to talk to him, why? why? Why are you spending, you know, $140 a week on lottery tickets? What do you hope it's going to give you? Um, and I, I would try to counsel them away from that. Um, or I, I go to the casino every other night, you know, to play blackjack or the slot machine. Um, I, 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 I'd say, well, you know, it sounds like you're addicted to it. Be careful. Um, is, is that, you know, what makes you think God's leading you to spend your time and your money, you know, with that? Um, you know, so, so it's one of those areas, son, that we don't want to become legalistic. In other words, we don't want to say, well, if you do this, you're not a Christian, you know, but, but on the other hand, we don't want to just become, you know, loose with things where it doesn't really matter. You know, you can, you can, you can gamble, um, and become addicted to it. But I, but I, I, I do think, son, that it's important if we're going to talk about gambling, I think it's a good thing to talk about. Um, I think it's important to talk not just about the slot machine and the lottery tickets, but also the stock market. Because I think a lot of Christians probably don't think about that in the same way they would think about like the slot machine. Um, but when you're putting money into something unknown, you know, a so-called investment, I mean, I think there'd be a lot of people who would call their slot machine, a lottery ticket stuff, a very poor investment. But, but how many people are gambling with tens of thousands of dollars in the stock market um, rather than just putting that money into a CD where there's a fixed rate of interest? So I'm saying this is, a, this is an area that gets, um, well, it, 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 it gets complex. Uh, and, and like I say, for those people that want to just all of a sudden, oh, well, no, you know, you buy a lottery ticket, you're sinning. Okay. I, I see what your position is on that. But are you saying then that virtually everybody who invests in a stock, they're sinning as well? Are you saying that? Or are you saying it's okay to gamble there, but not to gamble with a lottery ticket? Which is it? You know? So I just think we have to kind of think through these issues a bit um, without trying to justify something. Um, but again, I would equate it to, to alcohol. Um, there are those people who, who would never, or they feel like they would never take a sip of alcohol, but, but I don't, I don't find the message in the Bible that if you have a drink of alcohol, you're, you're sinning, but it can certainly lead to sin and lead to addiction, lead to all sorts of problems. And it's probably far better off if you don't ever drink. But having said that, uh, you know, what, what, what was Jesus's first miracle? turning water into wine. Now that's not a license to go out and get drunk, but it, it, it's just a simple fact that um, people who want black and white answers on some of these things. Now there are plenty of black and white answers in the Bible and son, you and I cover many of them on the podcast, but then there are issues where it, 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 it's not always black and white in the sense of, boy, if you ever in any way do that, if you ever have a drink, if you ever put a coin in a slot machine, boy, you've just sinned against God. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't find that in Scripture. But like I say, uh, there are plenty of reasons to be very leery of what happens at casinos, um, what happens with lottery tickets, what happens in the stock market. Plenty of reasons to be very, very careful. Once you're going to cross over from investing your money, I, I'm sorry, from from just 
putting your money, say, into like a CD uh, versus um, in, in investing in, uh, in in a stock where uh, you could potentially, you could, you could lose it all, you know, in hopes of getting a higher rate of return. So I don't know, Son, I, I hope I hope I answered a little bit there of what what you were kind of getting at. Yeah, absolutely. It was just, you know, one of those things where people sometimes misread or misunderstand what's being said and calling for some, you know, ultra conservative type rule or interpretation of scripture. And the point is, is that, you know, you have to make that decision yourself. But if you focus on God, yeah, you might enjoy the things of this world because it says, you know, we live in this world, but not be of the world. So we do enjoy things of this world. And that might be a, a determination for each and every person to decide but ultimately, if we keep our focus on the cross and on our future in heaven and the Holy Spirit leads and guides us, then, you know, that's a pretty good indicator of um, what we're going to be doing and how that's going to affect our lives. Uh, Dan, Amen. yeah, Dan, we appreciate it, as always, getting into some of these things, especially, you know, I don't know if it's every month. I don't follow the lottery, so I don't know if it's every month, every couple months, whatever it is that the billion-dollar, you know, Powerball hits. But um, it, it happens all the time, and I see people lining up, you know, impeding my purchasing my thing at the mini mart and getting out the door because it's supposed to be quick, and now I'm sitting in line waiting for all these Powerball people to get their ticket after ticket after ticket. But uh, nonetheless, mm-hmm. it's good to discuss some of these things because there is uh, sometimes far greater uh, ramifications than what we might think, so we appreciate that. Hey, sir. And if I may, uh, just to interject here, I, I just thought of this before we're done today, and that is one thing we didn't really touch on, but I would encourage any listener who'd be interested, if you'll go to that article I wrote at the Christian Post, Would You Trade Heaven for Winning Lottery Ticket? There are two or three links uh, in that article that then will give you 10 or 20 examples of people with the details, people who won the lottery and how it ruined their life or it led to suicide or it led to this or it led to that. Uh, and so I would just encourage you, if you, maybe you've seen those before, but if you'd be interested in that, just go to that article. Uh, it's the Christian Post. Um, would you trade heaven for a winning lottery ticket? And just scroll down in the article, and, and you'll find some links there. And um, that might give you some more food for thought on why uh, San and I today have been addressing this issue that, you know, winning the lottery is not all it's cracked up to be. And, and for many people who won, uh, it, it became the worst thing really in their life. So anyway. There it is. Yep, the links are there. Um, you can also check out our website at RadioWarp.com. That's Radio W-A-R-P, RadioWarp.com. Just look for the logo, Sanctified Reason Podcast logo. Click on the link and all our past shows pop up so you can go back and listen to other shows. Son, I've had people over the years from time to time in different settings I've been in or you know, maybe I'm at a wedding or something, they'll say, they'll say to me as a pastor, they'll say, hey, you know what? You know, I, I, I get these lottery tickets, but, you know, if I ever win the lottery, uh, I'm going to I'm going to give this amount of money to the church. So I just thought I'd throw that in because, you know, I, I think we, we can justify our habits um, and, and, and try to spiritualize what we're doing. But um, I don't know. I, that, that's kind of that would be an interesting uh, and kind of a problematic uh, justification for just, you know, buying a ton of lottery tickets, you know, I, uh, it's kind of interesting that anybody would even, would, would even think that way or, or think that somehow that kind of sanitizes, uh, you know, if, if I, if I decide to invest a ton of money in the lottery. Anyway, one more little anecdote, sorry to interrupt, but I just thought I'd throw it in. Yep. And so again, it's all in the, um, the article as well. You can find on the christianpost.com. 
And again, for those of you listening, hey, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.